0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 9th of September, 2021, and this is episode 474 of Bitcoin And. Uh, Let's... We're gonna talk. I'm gonna level off talking about El Salvador, uh, but you know El Salvador is pretty important news. So let's get into just a little bit more of some analysis of the aftermath. And I want to begin with this one from Bitcoin Magazine, Dylan Leclaire. If you're not following Dylan Leclaire on Twitter, uh, you're kind of missing out because he's he really does have some good you know, analysis on things that are occurring in the Bitcoin world. And uh, this is no different. Um, Cascading liquidations drop Bitcoin prices. El Salvador introduces legal tender law. So uh, yes, some future, a whole bunch of futures contracts apparently just got wiped out, which led to the crash that we saw on Bitcoin day, uh, the same day that El Salvador introduced Bitcoin as legal tender. So on quite the momentous occasion, a day when the first country officially adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, the price plunged $10,000. It was a $10,000 candle, y'all, it really was. Uh, $10,000 from the recent prior highs at one point down nearly 20% intraday. So what happened? Well, cascading liquidations happened during a day when Bitcoiners around the world agreed to buy $30 worth of Bitcoin in solidarity with El Salvador. It ultimately proved to not matter in terms of price action while going up against a nasty derivative market unwind. In particular, BTC margined futures contracts can be blamed due to convexity associated with declining trading's profit loss and declining collateral value. During the unwind, open interest in BTC margin futures declined by 17,000 BTC, about $800 million, in a little over one hour's time. (laughs) Wow, we don't see that often, but we have seen it on several occasions. Also notable was funding on perpetual swap contracts dipped negative for the first time in a little over a month. In particular, funding on Bitcoin margin contracts were the most negative with USD margin contracts witnessing less of a severe outcome. Also noteworthy was the relative bid on Coinbase that followed the sell-off with the basis between BitMEX uh, XBT USD and Coinbase BTC USD hovering at around negative 0.25% for a meaningful amount of time. This shows that North American buyers in particular were leading the charge and cleaning up the mess and scooping up coins on the spot markets, given that Coinbase does not have a derivatives platform. So, yeah, cascading liquidations happened again. And the last time this happened this bad that I can really remember was the cascading liquidations that were set off after Elon Musk's appearance on Saturday Night Live, after his run-up of talking about Bitcoin and blah, 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 and then... It was a buy the rumor, sell the news. I talked about that yesterday on the show. It doesn't matter what the news is. The news can be good, bad, or neutral. It does not matter. It's whenever the news drops, you just sell. Okay, so I should have waited to buy my $30 of Bitcoin, I guess. I don't know. I I, I honestly don't give a shit. I'm always buying Bitcoin anyway, so... I mean you know dca is really the only way to go and if you don't know what dca is it's daily cost average and you just buy a little bit of bitcoin instead of buying great big tranches of bitcoin you know because a lot of us just can't afford it on our meager you know fiat you know income and whatnot um we can't buy big tranches of it so we buy like you know 10 bucks here 20 bucks there 50 bucks there other people are more heavily into it. They're, you know, dropping 300 bucks, 500 bucks, and other people are dropping like, you know, $10,000 a week or, you know, $10 a day or $100 a day, depending on what your income level is and what you're comfortable with. But what what's great about daily cost averaging is that it completely levels out and takes care of a lot of the noise that you will experience if you're just buying Bitcoin like one time a month or you know, one time a quarter, or it's your very first buy, just buy small amounts of it, do it every day, every week, every month. You know, I highly recommend at least every week, you know, something like that. And it will really help level off, uh, those feel those, you know, those painful gut pangs that you feel when you see a, a $10,000 candle in the red. It's always good when you see it in the green, but uh, yeah, uh, it's the red ones that hurt so much. So does everything really benefit Bitcoin? Now, this is Shinobi. Uh, yeah, Shinobi on uh, on, on Twitter. Um, let's see what he's got to say about the whole business because he's, he's been around for a while. Yesterday was a truly historic moment for both El Salvador and Bitcoin. A sovereign nation has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender and recognized it as a money not treated or taxed as a capital asset. The entire path from the announcement in Miami to here has been somewhat haphazard, unclear at times, and met with a difficult to measure but undeniable pushback from some of the people in El Salvador, but that was obviously going to be the case from the start. Bitcoin has never been put in a situation of this magnitude in its entire lifetime and it's still growing and evolving. When the Chivo wallet app went live in app stores, every citizen in El Salvador was able to claim a free $30 of Bitcoin that they could use to buy things under the new law. This was the largest airdrop of Bitcoin ever done. Every citizen has the option to spend or huddle those sats. Every business has the choice to try and incentivize people to spend their Bitcoin by offering discounts or deals. This could be a massive opportunity for savvy individuals and businesses to plan for the future by building a stockpile of BTC and reinvest in themselves and their businesses as Bitcoin appreciates in price over time. As things settle down and people become used to interacting with Bitcoin, the door is now also open for remittances to be sent from abroad to El Salvador across the Bitcoin network. The potential savings could be both a massive boost to El Salvador's GDP as well as a way to put more of the money sent home by family members across the world into people's pockets instead of being shaved off in fees by businesses like Western Union. However, this entire remittance dynamic depends completely on a pool of fiat currency down in El Salvador, currently the trust established by the government. That's that Bitcoin trust that they got. I'm sure many Bitcoiners will love to argue this point, but the reality is many Salvadorans who receive remittances over Bitcoin rails will want to receive it in the form of USD. Many people outside of the Bitcoin community in the country have expressed a large degree of uncertainty and confusion over the rollout of the new law, exactly how things will work in practice, and how to use Bitcoin. Some have even expressed doubt in the government's motives and the ability, its ability to pull it all off. Let's think for a moment how a service like Strike works. User A is natively using the Lightning Network, and user B has their bank account linked to Strike. If A wants to send B 50 bucks, they simply send 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin, which is received by Strike, and converted on their end to credit user B with $50. That requires a sale of Bitcoin, Bitcoin for fiat. User B cannot be credited 50 bucks after having been sent Bitcoin unless someone on that side of the transfer is willing to buy that Bitcoin and provide the $50 that User B wants. This is the same type of model implemented in El Salvador with Chivo, except the government is currently the default buyer, so User B can receive fiat. The stability of the guarantee to convert BTC to fiat for anyone who wants USD instead is entirely dependent on the El Salvadoran government having the USD to buy BTC that everyone is now mandated to accept. They established a $150 million trust to guarantee this convertibility promise that is a linchpin of mandating people to accept Bitcoin. What happens when the trust runs out of money? To put things into perspective, El Salvador received $623 million in remittances in June of 2021. That's just in June. A single month of the USD remittance flows into that country was more than four times the size of the entire trust established to guarantee conversion from BTC to USD for citizens that do not want to be exposed to the volatility of Bitcoin. What happens when the trust runs out of money? The government of El Salvador would have to suspend the guaranteed promise to convert BTC received in payment to fiat and hopefully the mandate to accept it as well in such a situation or source more money to fund the trust with or facilitate matching other buyers of Bitcoin with their citizens to maintain the conversion. Having to suspend the conversion guarantee and acceptance mandate would probably be a huge blow of confidence to the entire endeavor. Sourcing more money themselves would likely involve sourcing loans internationally and, as a country, the God, having the IMF effectively shun them with a massive debt-to-GDP ratio that is highly unlikely to happen. This would realistically leave only the option of finding other buyers internationally to meet the conversion guarantee. This is where the problem lies. It would be as simple as sanctioning El Salvador to prevent the government from being able to tap international pools of USD liquidity to continue guaranteeing their citizens can seamlessly convert BTC to USD when accepting it. This would put El Salvador in a very tenuous situation. They would otherwise have to suspend the guarantee and simply hope the organic demand for BTC in El Salvador is enough to continue in a viable way or find other ways to bring USD into the country. Under international sanctions in my assessment, the only way to do so would be to source physical cash USD. I can think of no realistic way that that could be done at scale except to criminally smuggle it into the country, which, given the reality of organized crime in the region, would eventually fall into the domain of MS-13. I won't go into the gritty details of how dangerous a criminal enterprise they are, but when it comes to illegal smuggling operations in Central America, your only practical option is to deal with the organized criminal groups established in the region. Any of these potential routes of failure would offer the legacy media and financial institutions a gigantic well of ammunition to attack the rollout of this legislation in El Salvador. You can already see the warm up to it with media outlets criticizing President Bukele's unconstitutional dismissal of the Supreme Court and the change to term limitations, which would allow Bukele to run for office again. Every way that this goes wrong or has a hiccup will be used to hold or used to add to these media attacks and narratives. And in reality, there is a very real potential for problems that are much larger than the little hiccups I outlined above. The passing of this legislation is a truly historical moment and one that offers massive potential to do good for the citizens of El Salvador, but it also has massive potential to fail in those goals. And that is not only something that could do harm to Salvadorans, but also to Bitcoin itself. As a last word, it's important to remember in the frenzy of optimism and chance of everything is good for Bitcoin, that this is not a literal truth. Everything in life has positives and negatives, including Bitcoin. <clears throat> Thank you, Shinobi. That was a pretty good one because it does, it's a sobering article. You know, we've got to sober up from this entire thing because we have been excited since the, you know, since the announcement that Bukele made and for the 90 days that we had to wait for it to actually take effect and go into law. So it's time to sober up and that's okay. I mean, somebody had to be first. Somebody had to be first, right? So, Bukele was the first. Now, this goes in line. You know, Shinobi's, you know, me and Shinobi are 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 in complete agreement about the well of ammunition that can be formed. To be used by media outlets and financial, you know, legacy financial folks and all that to say, be able to be, you know, point and say, oh my God, look what's going on over there. It's bad. It's terrible. Yeah, he's right. And they will use it and there will be a well of ammunition. How big that well gets is what's in question here. And given the fact that what Shinobi outlined is that one month of remittances is four times more than the trust that they put together to be able to guarantee convertibility of BTC to USD. We have absolutely no idea what's going to happen here. We really don't. That, and that's, I would say that that's a problem, but it's not. That's just straight, straight up reality. We have no idea what's going to happen. But one thing that I can say is that I do wish that this had been more of an organic adoption event rather than a mandated adoption event which I did talk about again on you know yesterday's podcast the, the next the next country that does this please consider doing it a different way do, please do experiment B we've already got one we've got experiment A in the incubator okay it's 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 cooking away if we're going to do it again Please do it differently. Please do organic adoption and not a mandated adoption. <coughs> or better yet, if you, well, not even better yet, just in a different way. What if just the government or particular government entities were mandated to accept Bitcoin and you had backing for convertibility on that? or you know, see, see what I'm saying? It's like, maybe, you know, get it to where something that you do have to interact with as a citizen of a country and you only have to interact with that with that institution. Like, I don't know, one 20th of the time that you spend in a year in that country. Maybe you go, oh, you know, that's actually pretty easy. Maybe I'll ask the, you know, my, you know, guy that's, you know, the taco stand guy if he'll take Bitcoin because this is actually kind of cool. And then that's, more or less what I think about organic adoption, but we'll, we're going to have to see now moving over to Eastern Europe. Ukraine has legalized Bitcoin. I didn't even see this coming. Honestly, I think I probably reported on it and just kind of forgot about it, but here we are. Nick Hoffman has it for Bitcoin magazine. Today, the Ukrainian parliament passed a law that legalizes and regulates Bitcoin in the country. The bill drafted in 2020 passed with a total of 276 lawmakers supporting the law and only six against it. The main purpose behind this bill seems to provide clarification on the asset and protect those who own Bitcoin, as it was not previously legal or illegal in the country. Though not illegal, Ukrainian law enforcement agencies treating Bitcoin and other virtual currencies as a scam, resulting in Bitcoin businesses getting raided, according to Kiev Post now that this bill is passed courts can now properly protect individuals and businesses yeah right since it provides tax clarity and officially allows bitcoin businesses to operate within the country it also sets some guidelines for how ukraine may try and regulate bitcoin more in the future this bill gives the citizens permission to own and trade bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on exchanges the bill also gives clarity on wallets and what private keys are the parliament is expected to pass and amend their tax and civil codes before the end of the year to officially open the market for businesses and investors, according to a Ministry of Digital Transformation spokesperson who spoke to the Kiev Post. It is important to note that even though Bitcoin is now legal in Ukraine, that does not mean that BTC is legal tender in the country. That will require a whole other bill for it to happen in the future. This is great news and definitely a step in the right direction towards the country eventually adopting a full-on Bitcoin standard similar to El Salvador. One important thing to note here is that for many Bitcoin to fully thrive in a country, it's important not to stamp it with too many laws or regulations, which would end up stifling innovation. Bitcoin is currently very nascent and seems to be on its way to becoming the world reserve currency. It would be a shame to see countries not capitalize on the opportunity at hand because of overregulation. Now, w- while Ukraine is in the midst of getting to know Bitcoin and sort of courting the Bitcoin network through this legislation, we have the prison colony. Australian crypto businesses tell Senate inquiry about being debanked up to 91 times. Brian Coin Cointelegraph, my God, Jesus. Crypto-related companies and figures have provided evidence about being debanked by Australian, finance author- uh, fi- sorry, Australian financial institutions to a Senate inquiry. Uh, crypto investment firm Merchant, global remittance provider New- Neum, and small peer-to-peer crypto bro- brokerage platform Bitcoin Babe were speaking on a panel as part of the Senate inquiry into Australia as a technology and financial center. Yeah, good luck on september the 8th all three are registered with financial intelligence regulator austrac and are subject to reporting requirements however they all echoed similar sentiments of being debanked without a concrete explanation as to why Michaela zurek the founder of the peer-to-peer trading business dubbed after her nickname bitcoin babe stated that she has been banned by a total of 91 banks and financial institutions throughout her seven-year history in crypto. Quote, As of yesterday, I have been banned and debanked from 91 banks and financial institutions. That's 91 lifetime bans. No reasons given, no case-by-case assessments or discussions engaged, and no recourse available. End quote. Jesus, God, lifetime bans. Holy shit. Bitcoin Babe utilizes exchanges such as Local Bitcoins to conduct trades in Australia, and according to her profile on the website, she has conducted more than forty thousand trades since 2014 with a feedback score of 98%. Holding or despite holding a good reputation online, Zurich told crypto-friendly Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg that some banks have even flagged her as a terrorist due to the nature of her business. "Quote: I've had banks go so far as report me." for being a terrorist on some databases. And that is what has stopped me from being able to get some of these services, end quote. Singapore headquartered Neum is licensed in 40 markets across the globe. However, the firm stated that Australia is the only country where it has had issues with financial service providers. Michael Minison, Neum's or Neum's, Asian Pacific head of consumer business stated, The firm feels that there are some uncompetitive practices that are being conducted with debanking as he questioned the opaque reasons the bank has offered when cutting services to the company. Quote, They're very vague as to why they are ceasing to provide banking services to you. I've had some bankers provide me with verbal reasons as the policy shifts within the bank, etc. But essentially, industries like remittance become too hard for the banks. End quote. He added, it's costly for them to try and establish frameworks that they can allow banking. So it's just easier for them to cease providing services. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm too confused. I'm not gonna do it. My Mitchell Travers, the co-founder of New South Wales-based crypto investment platform, Merchant, stated that with what little reasoning was provided behind debanking the platform, it was due to quote, risk avoidance from banks. Quote, as far as I'm aware, it was a risk avoidance, risk off attitude, where the reasoning was that we were outside of the scope of the services of these banks and we weren't given an opportunity to provide enhanced due diligence procedures. Senator Bragg responded by stating, okay, I see your registration with Ostrak is worthless to a bank, it sounds like. Oh, shit. The Commonwealth Bank provided a submission to the inquiry explaining its practices and stated that it operates commensurate systems and controls to mitigate and manage anti-money laundering and terror financing risk. Quote, In circumstances where a customer's source of funds and source of wealth is unable to be determined on their account activity is not in accordance with known business activities, the group takes appropriate steps to mitigate and manage its risk, the CBA said in its submission. So... (laughs) Australia's just going to have fun staying poor, I guess. Or actually, the, they're not poor, but they're going to become poor. For more reasons than just this shit, I guarantee it. But this, I mean, 91 lifetime bans, are you fucking kidding me? That's insane. And there's, and no reasons are given. And, you know, now we get, now we get to the, to the real meat of that matter. The reason given is that they are out of their depth. They have absolutely no idea how to navigate the technology or its impli- its legacy financial implications, and so they just they just go dead like they just go mute. It's like deer caught in headlights. They just stand there. You know what happens to the deer that just stands in the middle of the road with it's mesmerized by the lights and doesn't know what to do? Roadkill. That's exactly what I expect to happen to Australia and other countries that don't figure this out. Speaking of the prison colony, that Australia is, well, remember, Australia was born a prison colony. It will return and is returning to a prison colony. How can I tell escapees? Yeah. When you see people climbing over a wall and they're all like just scrambling away from a building, chances are real good they're escaping a prison and and you don't wanna pick any hitchhikers up except in this particular case. Why? Because record numbers of Australians apply to border force to leave long term. This is the Daily Telegraph, uh, the Australian version of it. Record numbers of Australians are applying to get out of the country for more than three months at a stretch, but increasingly they are also seeing their applications to leave knocked back, according to Australian border force figures. According to the agency's most recent monthly travel exemptions processing report, 37,900 applications were received to leave the country in August, with about 15,000 of those being from Australians wishing to leave the country for three months or more. In total, 12,347 of those applications, nearly half, were rejected, with 4,460 of the applications to leave for less than three months also knocked back. (coughs) August total applications to leave were also nearly double those received. At the start of the year in January 20 or sorry, in January 20,900 outbound applications were received by Border Force and the number has steadily increased every month. The figures suggest that while the nation has performed inevitably or enviably at keeping coronavirus cases and deaths low, increasing number of Australians are looking to move to other nations that are moving to put the pandemic behind them and operate openly with minimal restrictions on daily life, commerce and travel. There are literally tens of thousands of people out there on social media and elsewhere saying that we're done. We don't need this anymore, said Liberty Works president Andrew Cooper, who led an unsuccessful court challenge to Australia's draconian border restrictions. Quote, there's definitely that feeling out there, people saying I'm done, he added. Uh, Hat tip Stephen Levera, who did get out. Australia is thought to be one of a handful of nations, including North Korea, that require its citizens to apply for permission to leave the country. The numbers also come at a time when NSW residents are among the most restricted in their ability to travel inside or outside the country. Aside from five kilometer travel limits for most people in the state, virtually every state and territory has also thrown up high bureaucratic barriers to keep people from NSW out on New South Wales, I suppose out except under very limited circumstances. While Queenland's border has been the focus of intense scrutiny for stranding compassionate cases and even Australian diggers coming home from Afghanistan while allowing footballers and their wives and girlfriends in, virtually every other jurisdiction has similar rules to keep or in place to keep New South Wales people out. Victoria has thousands of its own residents stranded in New South Wales and only has just begun to allow 200, 200 of them stranded in low-risk border areas to come across the border in quarantine. The state could not provide figures on the numbers of New South Wales residents who had applied to leave for Victoria South Australia has similar strict rules against New South Wales visitors. A spokesperson from the state health department said that applications were taken from people fleeing domestic violence, relocating for work or seeking compassionate leave to visit a dying relative. God damn, but could not provide numbers or timelines saying only that they were worked through on a case by case basis. It's a prison y'all and they're, they're, they're fleeing. And, but it, I mean, I here, my question is this cops are not military by definition in almost every corner of the globe, the civil police force in the country are not military. They are in fact civilians themselves. How's this happening? How is it? The cops are just, are just not saying, you know what? Fuck you. We're done. The only answer is pay. And it's not like, and honestly, it's not this way. It's like, yes, on an individual case-by-case basis, you're going to get fired if you stand up against your own police force, throw down your hat, and, you know, help, try to actually help the people. <clears throat> yes, that will happen. But the reason that whole departments don't just flee en masse, how is uh, anybody going to get the money? I mean, the, like, the, the, the department itself would just automatically be defunded by the government. It's entrapment. The fiat legacy system has just been converted into a prison itself. God, Jesus. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids <clears throat> doing good to, I guess, doing good. West Texas Intermediate up 0.75 to $69.82 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 0.8%, $73.18 a barrel. Natural Gas up almost a full point and is just under $5 per 1,000 cubic feet. Uh, Gasoline is at $2.15 a gallon. That's after a 0.84% rise in price on the futures market. Shiny Metal Rocks doing okay. Gold is up a a third of a point to $1,799. Almost there, almost there, Peter. you're almost back to $1,800, Peter. Almost. Silver, $24.22. That's after a 0.72 rise in price or 0.72% rise in price. Platinum is up 0.13. Copper up 1.33. Palladium is up 008 All the agricultural futures are down. Honestly, that's wow. And wheat is down 1.4 and coffee is down 1.9 and sugar is down 1.13 while corn, the corn is down 0.83. So yeah, there's that. Now indices, everything is also down. Dow futures are down a quarter of a point. S&P futures down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ futures down one-fifth of a point, and the S&P mini is down almost a full half point. Let's talk about real money at a price of $46,202.62. 281,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's almost 12,000 transactions on average per hour. 471,000 BTC have been sent in that period. That is just below 20,000 <clears> BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.67 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.018 BTC or 833 bu- <clears throat> 33 bucks. Block time is exactly 10 minutes and zero seconds. 0.09 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 14 and a quarter BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 7.5% decline in hash rate, we are at 128.38 exahashes per second, which is still over secured. Your shitcoin indicator is at 25 and a half US pennies. That's 25 and a, U- <clears throat> and a half US pennies. And of course, Shitcoin indicator today, as always, as every day is, Dogecoin. Now, Clark Moody dashboard showing 419 transactions waiting on one block to clear with a market capitalization of $871 billion. That is 7.5% of gold's entire market cap. And if you want, you can buy 25.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with a Bitcoin. There are 18,810,916 and a half Bitcoin in circulation at this time, with 2,406 of those being in the Lightning Network at a valuation of $111.4 million being run over 15,036 nodes that we know about, with 69,145 channels that we know about. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, 74.8% of the Lightning Network is now run over TOR. That means that there's 1,800 and or 1,800.21 BTC in the TOR side of the Lightning Network and that's being run over 9,657 nodes that we know about. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this off with Namsios writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Blockstream partners with Macquarie to explore renewable Bitcoin mining solutions. Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream and financial group Macquarie will be partnering to pilot a Bitcoin mining facility and explore alternative carbon neutral energy sources to power such operations. The partnership announced in a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine today will join together Blockstream's enterprise grade Bitcoin mining facilities with Macquarie's knowledge and energy to achieve environmentally sustainable Bitcoin mining solutions. Macquarie's experience and scale in traditional infrastructure in, <clears throat> investment, as well as commodity and energy markets, and Blockstream's position as a leading Bitcoin miner and provider of Bitcoin-based technology solutions offers terrific potential, said Dr. Adam Back, Blockstream CEO. This initiative builds upon many of Blockstream. Previous building block developments in the Bitcoin mining ecosystem, the company, which operates mining and hosting facilities in Quebec, Canada, and Georgia, announced Blockstream Energy in August, a new service that allows renewable energy producers to increase energy production efficiency and sell surplus energy. The company also recently launched its new ASICS manufacturing arm in a merger with mining hardware manufacturer company Spondulies. Blockstream's previous leap into research and creating a 100% renewable energy Bitcoin mine at scale saw its inception in a partnership with financial services company Square. Square would invest $5 million in the arrangement and Blockstream would provide Bitcoin mining infrastructure and management experience. By collaborating with Macquarie, Blockstream expects to develop renewable power infrastructure to fulfill its vision of scaling this initiative to new sites in the future. The first project, or uh, pilot project with Macquarie, will allow b- Blockstream's experience in Bitcoin mining and mining hardware hosting to leverage the financial group's investments and expertise in energy to research and explore alternative solutions to make renewable Bitcoin mining at scale viable. Macquarie is a leading investor <coughs> in renewable energy infrastructure, which, as of March 31st, had $428.3 billion of assets under management and 44 gigawatts of generation under development, according to the release. The firm provides asset management, finance, banking, advisory, and risk, and capital solutions across debt, equity, and commodities. So there you go. Blockstream hanging out with a financial asset manager with a shit ton of money. That's, you know, $428 billion is nothing to sneeze at uh, to do renewable mining. It should be interesting to see. Honestly, you might wanna think about going down to other countries. Although, yeah, there's always a risk of getting your shit nationalized after you've built it. So that's probably why they won't go down there. But it's still interesting to see. But we're not done with Blockstream just yet. How Blockstream's new ASIC division will propel Bitcoin mining? This is Jesse Willems. Uh, She's writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine adding to a list of offerings that touches nearly every aspect of the industry bitcoin infrastructure company blockstream is now planning to launch the world's first enterprise class miner in 2022 and in addition to this being a massive challenge in and of itself blockstream hopes to improve the efficiency of mining rigs meet major industry demand and increase the decentralization of the mining space in the process in a friendly merger with mining hardware manufacturing company Blockstream is launching its new ASICs manufacturing arm and adding to an already diverse suite of products and services, including mining and hosting in Quebec, Canada, and Georgia, energy efficiency development through Blockstream Energy, a settlement sidechain project, the Liquid Network, investment products through Blockstream Finance, as well as the Blockstream Satellite. My God, it's like they do everything. Holy shit. For the latest line... Blockstream has acquired both Sponduli's intellectual property and its core team in order to build up its new mining hardware arm. Sponduli's CEO Asif Gilboa is coming on board as the head of Blockstream's new ASIC division. According to a recent announcement, since its founding in 2013, the Sponduli's team has designed and built five different mining products and was one of the first teams in the Bitcoin mining industry to deliver energy-efficient, high-performance mining hardware. Quote, many consider consider Sponduli's system design and improved rack mount form factor miners to be the best designed and highest build quality miner series taken to market to date, said Dr. Adam Back, Blockstream CEO. And while Dr. Back doesn't see much room for major improvement in ASIC performance, he does see room for refinement, particularly in the size of the chips the rigs use. Quote, Hash functions like SHA-256 are designed to be hard to find computational shortcuts. So it's likely there's limited room left for further algorithm optimization in Bitcoin proof of work. As ASIC technology advances from seven nanometers to five nanometers and in the future, three nanometer chips, power consumption and therefore the efficiency of miners improves over time, Adam Back said. Driving the efficiency forward would be an achievement very much in demand by the Bitcoin mining market. And in its most recent newsletter, Bitcoin mining company Luxor Technologies noted that as hash rates start to climb back up following a, the China crackdown, miners are looking for infrastructure space as much or more than they seek mining equipment itself. Quote, as more S-19s and other new-gen rigs enter the North American market, industrial-scale farms are swapping out older hardware for newer hardware whenever they can, according to the newsletter. Quote, rack space is scarce, so it makes more sense economically to fill shelves with more efficient machines, which can produce more hash rate while consuming less energy. Compass Mining also noted a trend toward more compact, efficient machines. Quote, although prices haven't fully recovered from the market's drop in April and May, aggregate prices for ASICs on secondary markets have rebounded significantly in July and August. Machines with efficiency under 38 joules per tera hash are selling in the mid to upper 80 or $80 range per terahash. Uh, machines with efficiencies between 38 and 65 joules per tera hash are back above $60 per tera hash. These trends can only bode well for Blockstream's new venture. The pressure is on Blockstream to produce and market Bitcoin ASICs before the end of the year or end of next year, but Dr. Back is confident they've made the right decision teaming up with Spondoolies. Quote, Blockstream joining forces with Spondoolies makes a lot of business sense and combines Blockstream's protocol and cryptographic algorithm expertise and enterprise hosting and mining operations with Spondoolies, best of breed miner system design and manufacturing capabilities, said Dr. Back. As far as a marketing strategy, Blockstream will stress the importance of decentralizing the supply chain out of China and establishing a toehold in North America. As of early 2020, 73% of ASIC manufacturing took place in China. Quote, one differentiator for Blockstream miners is a more international design and assembly, adding supply chain diversification and a North American supplier for the short term. Miners are in short supply, so we, like other mining companies, have to allocate miners strategically. Longer term, we would like to bring new product lines to sell to other miners and individuals globally and to support Blockstream Mining products like BMN, or Blockstream Mining Note is what BMN stands for and Blockstream Energy, end quote. And that's from Dr. Adam Back himself. In a recent Series B round, Blockstream raised $210 million. The financing, backed by UK-based private equity firm Bailey Gifford and Hong Kong-based iFinex, which runs the cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex, gave Blockstream a $3.2 billion valuation. Though this valuation and the consistent growth of Blockstream seemed to set the stage for a public listing, for now, Dr. Back plans to keep innovating as the CEO of a private company. Quote, our capitalization with the B round is higher than some public market crypto sector companies. We may at a future time consider a public listing, but for the moment, we have the flexibility and agility afforded by operating as a private company and ample funding to accelerate growth. Jesus, these guys are just going head on into into that. Oh man, they're just, they're blowing the doors off shit. Yes, they're lizard people. I've met them. No, actually, actually, I haven't really ever, you know, met them, not personally. But, you know, some of them are lizard people. The arguments against Blockstream, I, I don't get. It's Adam Back. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't under, I don't understand it. I would much rather have people like Adam Back doing shit like this than Roger Ver any day of the week. Although... <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Roger Ver wouldn't be able to compete at this particular level. Okay, Bitmain to send 56,000 ant miners to the United States state of Georgia under ISW deal. Coindesk.com uh, has it. Who's writing it? Oh, shit, I don't know. Oh, Eliza Kritzky? I, I can't pronounce it. Whatever. Chinese mining rig maker Bitmain will send 56,000 ant miners to Georgia in the United States under a deal with IWS Holdings and Bit5 at ISW's Pod City facility in Georgia. The amp miners will be operational with 20 megawatts of power by October of this year. According to a Wednesday press release, ISW plans the facility to run at 200 megawatts by October of next year. For the entire 200 megawatt, <clears throat> ISW expects to shell out $62 million, of which it is so far paid $6 million, according to the press release. The deal is one of many moves this summer by Chinese miners to get the fuck out. No, I didn't actually say that, but that's what it means. With North America being a particularly attractive destination, even before the crackdown started in May, many rig manufacturers had their books full of orders from North America due to increased investment in the United States and Canada. Nevada-based ISW Holdings puts its funding, access to electricity, and public markets while Bit5 is bringing electricity power. Both of them will provide hosting services for Bitmain's rigs. The deal was first revealed in July. ISW currently operates 700 rigs. S-19s, S-17s, and Canaan's Avalon's in a mine managed by Bit5 in Pennsylvania. The current hash rate is 36,000 terahashes per second, according to the press release. So more shit coming online to North America. This is, this, this is good for Bitcoin. Just, just saying. All right. Insiders sold MicroStrategy stock after Bitcoin's bull run. Marie juliet has got the bad news from Cointelegraph. It's not bad news, guys. Company insiders sell their vested shares all the time, whether they were, whether their company held Bitcoin on their balance sheets or not. And in pretty much 99.9% of the cases over the, actually 99.9999999 bar percent of the cases over the last 100 years that you could vest your employees with company stock. And then at the time of vesting, they sell it. That's just been happening for a long time. Okay, that this has been happening fucking forever. So I just don't get this. <clears throat> they were gonna sell their stock whether they were invested in Bitcoin or not. Okay, so just I I don't get it, but let's find out what this person's crying about. Virginia-based enterprise software company MicroStrategy has captured the attention of crypto and financial news outlets alike with CEO's atypical strategy of going all in on Bitcoin beginning in 2020 with some reporters quipping that the company has since morphed into something closer to a Bitcoin investment vehicle rather than a software firm. Recent filings with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission suggest some of the company's top-level executives are ambivalent about pursuing the strategy long-term. The filings reveal that MicroStrategy Chief Financial Officer Fong Li and Chief Technology Officer Timothy Lang both unloaded stock in August of this year by exercising roughly 30% of the options they received as compensation. As Bloomberg reports, Lang exercised 10,000 of his awarded options on August the 26th and later sold all the converted shares, pocketing roughly $7.1 million. Fong, for his part, exercised 200,000 options between August the 2nd and the 6th and then sold the shares in return for a little over $7.3 million. Each has held on to roughly 20,000 options. CEO Michael Saylor himself has not sold any shares since 2012, although he did reallocate 50,000 shares of Class A company stock to another of his firms, Alcantara LLC, this January. The report notes that, while exercising options is commonplace for executives, Fong and Lang's moves were made without a prearranged trading plan. Matt Malley, chief market strategist of Miller Tobacco & Company, has claimed that the decision may be indicative of their concerns about the long-term viability of Saylor's corporate strategy and his commitment to tying the company's fate so closely to that of Bitcoin. Quote, Senior executives do not sell stock if they think it's going higher. It's just a bad sign no matter how you slice it, Maylee reportedly said. As of June the 30th, MicroStrategy held an approximate 105,000 BTC. With Saylor doubling down on his crypto strategy in late July, by pledging to continue to amass more BTC. Earlier in June, the firm had announced a $400 million debt raise to expand its Bitcoin treasury holdings and in August, MicroStrategy added a further 3,900 BTC to its holdings, bringing its total to 108,992 BTC at a cost of $2.9 billion to the company. As of the time of writing, MicroStrategy stock is down close to 9.4% on the day. In just over 77% over the past six months. However, Ed Moya, a senior market an- analyst at Anada, uh, has argued that Fong and Lang's sell-offs are unlikely to discourage MicroStrategy investors who share Sailor's commitment to Bitcoin. This is a little over the top, guys. Given that the CEO's relentless support for Bitcoin has made the company a cryptocurrency trade and not necessarily a bet on the company's software solutions and services, the share price will likely continue to go in the direction of Sailor and his bet on bitcoin. Okay, so look, guys. They're still profitable. That company's never been not profitable. I mean, it may not be like, you know, extraordinarily profitable, but he's but he still gets cash flowing in. It's been a cash-flowing business for a long, long time. I I don't see the problem here. And always valuing you know, always looking at a company's valuation in terms of whether its stock price is going to go up. It's kind of stupid. If I remember right, Warren Buffett did not buy companies because its stock price was going to go up. He would buy into or buy whole companies because he, had a, he saw that a good management team was in place. They were cash flowing positive and had been for some time. They, had, they didn't have supply chain issues if, that, if, supply, if supply chain was part of their shit. He did not ever go in and buy a company just because he thought its stock was going to go up. I mean, he did it because management was on the floor and were good and they had a good product and they had a, a huge customer base and they were cash flowing positive. In a, in a way, I, I kind of just don't agree with this entire article. I'm just saying. Just because Fong and Lang decided to sell their stock doesn't mean that they're short Bitcoin. Okay, yes, they're clearly short Bitcoin, but may, they just wanted to sell their shares. Executives do it all the time. And the fact that they didn't have a trading plan, so what? They can exercise their shares whenever the fuck they want. All right, otherwise, well, that's a whole other discussion, and I don't want to do that one right now. But I do want to do this one. Play to earn. gold rush, as Crypto Gaming Guild and ZBD raise millions from VCs. Inigo Vaca has got it from Cointelegraph. Crypto Gaming United, a startup aiming to build a global community of non-fungible token of focused play to earn gamers has raised $5 million in an oversubscribed seed funding round. A September 8th announcement notes the round was led by famed Australian venture capitalist, Mark Carnegie and chrono.tech CEO, Sergio Sergenko, with the pair having co-founded the crypto focused asset manager, MHC digital finance. Yeah, I know you're screaming at me about the NFT thing. Hold on. Just hold on. Get, you know, come on. Get your diapers, get your diaper set. Crypto Gaming United was established in August of this year and has already attracted more than 1,500 members and has a waiting list of almost 40,000. The guild helps members play the popular NFT-based game Axie Infinity by offering scholarships where sponsors provide expensive in-game assets to players who can use them to generate revenue. Despite its seed round being led by Australian investors, the guild predominantly comprises Filipino players, with users also hailing from Indonesia, South Africa, and India. With most guild members hailing from low-income economies, many players may not have the means to acquire the expensive digital assets needed to play Axie Infinity amid a surging crypto bull market. Crypto Gaming United is not the only company offering Axie Infinity scholarships with sponsorship programs typically taking a share of the profits earned by players. Serjenko stated, quote, The opportunity for wealth creation in the NFT space is no longer limited to those with the means, such as sports celebrities. At Crypto Gaming United, we are overcoming the cost barrier required for admission to play, thereby allowing players to generate income through their gaming exploits. The Gaming Guild ambitiously hopes to amass a user base of more than 100,000 within the next 18 months. Carnegie is not alone in believing the innovative play to earn titles built on NFTs will see the crypto sector capture an increasing share of the $200 billion annual online gaming industry. This is the part that I really want you to see because this is where we come back to actual Bitcoin. On September the 7th, ZBD raised $11.5 million in a Series A funding round to expand its gaming initiatives, including enabling game developers to pay out rewards to players in the form of crypto assets. Launched in 2019, ZBD provides the platform and tools to enable Bitcoin to be used as in-game rewards and microtransactions via Lightning Network infrastructure. Simon Cowell, co-founder and CEO, was previously head of corporate development at Bitstamp, the world's longest-standing Bitcoin exchange. ZBD's funding round was led by LakeStar and also featured participation from Initial Capital, Newform Capital, and numerous gaming angels. Crypto-native gaming has already seen explosive growth this year, with Axie Infinity's user base growing from 30,000 in April to more than 1 million last month. Yield Guild Games, a Philippine play-to-earn gaming collective offering Axie sponsorships, also raised $12.5 million via an initial DEX offering in just minutes during July. All right, so other than the fact that I wanted to make sure that you understood that Zebedee, which which is, I've interviewed Simon Cowell on the podcast before, like last year, I've been following ZBD. I like what they're doing. It's like Light Night Games, ZBD, and, and some other folks. Um, they're, they are on the forefront of what is to come. So what is to come? Old gaming companies are going to die because they are not going to embrace Bitcoin or God, or God forbid anything else, but they really just need to, to get into Bitcoin but they're also not going to get into anything else. Why? Because they already have their own in-game currency. And they already make a metric shit ton of money off of it. And they can put that shit on their balance sheets. They're not going to you know, excoriate their own game of their game currency to replace it with some cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin or not. They're just not going to do it. And because of that, they are trapped. Electronic Arts is trapped. All the rest of them are trapped they're trapped by the prison that they've made for themselves by looking at their balance sheet as the Holy grail all the time. They have they're they're too damn big for their britches. They stand on their employees way, way, way too much. I've seen like, you know, people saying that they haven't had like, you know, a vacation in over two years because they're constantly always working on yet one have been put on a new game team like every single year. And they're always trying to start up and all that kind of shit It's bullshit. What is not bullshit is Bitcoin and gaming. You're talking about a $200 billion annual uh, industry. Right now, the, market cap of, of the entire market cap of Bitcoin by itself is over $800 billion. Right? The gaming industry represents one full quarter of Bitcoin's market cap. The game companies that are going to actually put a real currency that is portable, that you can put money in, get money out, and somehow or another correctly navigate the regulatory landscape, are going to be the winners in gaming over the next hundred years, and it's going to be it's going to be marvelous. So keep an eye on Light Night Games, um, <clears throat> Infinite Fleet. Uh, let's see what else is there's Light Night is uh, all the stuff from Zebedee. And there's a couple of other ones. Um, God, there was one other one that I wanted to mention that that is is they're good Bitcoiners, and I can't remember what it was. Anyway, that's 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 just that's all I'm saying. Ooh, okay, we've come to the end of the stack. Wow, check it out, dude. Uh, that's gonna do it for the morning round. All right. I haven't done a dad says jokes in a while, so let's do one. Did you hear about the mute chicken? It didn't give a cluck. Sorry about the foul language. It's terrible. It's terrible, isn't it? Okay. Um help out with the show. You know, you know what to do, man. Retweet, you know, retweet my uh, show announcement tweets. Go give me a five star review on on Apple iTunes because it does help, and God knows I need the help. In um, any other way, like you know, use the Breeze Wallet to listen to the podcast and stream me Sats because they will go directly to my Lightning Wallet that's held on my Lightning node because I run a Bitcoin full node and have done so for a long time now. And I recommend it. It's it's an empowering feeling. With all that said, I'll see you on the other side.